1: hey everybody welcome back to all new all different uncanny x's for podcast where we examine the uncanny x-men comic book franchise during the 80s mutant mania through titles like dazzler and the new defenders
2: i'm your host jonah i'm dylan
0: and i'm nico and man we hope you guys survive the experience and what we have today for you is quite an experience so, this channel, I swear, really, and I feel like a broken record because, man, my record is so broken about this. But I swore to Jonah when we started this show that we were going to talk about the uncanny X Men and we were going to take a look at their occasional tie ins and appearances throughout the Marvel Universe. But it seems like more what it's become is tracking mutantdom through an ever shifting Marvel scape. Now, in order to do this, I knew we would need friends. So, I brought in Kevo for Captain Britain because. That's my husband, and Captain Britain means so much to me. It made a lot of sense. And the best friend, Kyle, just, it made sense to bring Kyle on and be like, hey, buddy, let's talk about these characters you love, the original five, where they appear elsewhere. And then what happened was the champion sucked, and I couldn't do that to him anymore. So we figured a better fit for him, and that show is launching soon. Keep a lookout on X's for Podcasts' feed for Thursday Thursdays. But that meant that we had this big gaping hole. And I like to fill big gaping holes. So in order to do that, I decided we needed somebody whose knowledge of the X-Men rivaled my own and whose charm was on par with Jonah's. And to do that, we brought on Dylan. And it's been such a great time. And the show has taken so many unique transformations where it's going to become sort of one big book for a while with the exception of Excalibur, which is always off doing its own thing. So, it just kind of made sense that before we dive into, for no apparent reason it would seem, reading some Avengers stories, I wanted to talk a little bit about what we're doing here. So, guys, that was a big long preamble to say the show is once again following the natural transformation of the X-Men franchise. Jonah, we're at least getting closer to reading X-Men, at least we're, we're reading X-Men and far, far fewer Marvel team-ups.
1: Yeah, it feels like the X-Men are kind of the It people, like, you want to put them in your books, you want them to have appearances, because they're the It children, really, Charles is It children, because no one really wants Charles unless you're, you know, propelling him down in a tractor beam where he falls out of his wheelchair. But that being said, it's-
0: Or you're a horny bird lady. Horny bird ladies love Charles. They
1: really do.
0: I'm now imagining, like, a- I'm imagining a Murkrow in drag (laughs) trying to flirt with Charles, that would in this instance charles is played by a psyduck
2: yes oh could we have more pokemon x-men references yes okay N- oh i mean who could who new could print resist, pokemon right? x-men
0: so i agree with you completely jonah they are the it kids they're appearing in everything and when they're not appearing in stuff it seems like they're just taking over other titles we read all of those Marvel fanfares that I'm sure were supposed to be about something, but they really just seemed like an opportunity for Chris Claremont to seed some new things. At this point, Jonah, you've read over a hundred issues for this show, well over, and yet I would say about maybe 60 of them have been Uncanny X-Men. Yep. What are your feelings as we move toward the introduction of the new mutant?
1: That sounds about right. X-Men are just everywhere and involved in everything. And yeah, it's even in when they're not in their own title, it's just for an excuse that other writers can use them because when you have popular children, you exploit them.
0: <laughs> we just complained in our most recent episode of Uncanny X-Men that Carol Danvers just sort of took over an issue. And then Dracula just sort of took over an issue. And then An alternate version of Storm kind of took over an issue. We were seeing a lot of characters sort of detract from the main narrative. And that's really a Claremont hallmark. When I think about Claremont and some of his bigger plans, especially in the coming years that we're going to be taking a look at, I think about all of the different things he tried to introduce and these threads that, I swear, this man for years in interviews will up and down swear to you. That that character was a huge deal when they only had four lines that one time. Dylan, you, like me, have read way too much of this stuff way too many times. And I couldn't think of somebody better to bring on and try and help us weave together the complex net that the Uncanny X-Men is going to become. The right time to bring you in was definitely when the mutant mania couldn't stop spreading like some sort of weird Wolverine virus that has to appear on every cover. We have Dazzler, we have Angel, Beast, and Iceman all heading out to the Defenders very shortly, and after that, it's just a matter of time before Marvel Comics Presents is consistently dominated by solo X-Men, or Wolverine for that matter. Dylan, these are titles that I know you love, that I love. How... Do they fare, though, in this sort of minimalist reread?
2: It kind of seems like Marvel was, like you guys mentioned, exploiting their popular children. But I think they were maybe exploiting them too much and spreading them out into stories and places in the Marvel Universe that they didn't necessarily shine in.
0: And I think one of the things about that is there just aren't enough of them. At this point, we're more frequently dealing with a core roster of X-Men than we're dealing with the bigger picture. But Claremont still tries to pepper in minor characters. We've come to recognize the X-Men as this core set of characters that are primarily Claremont's giant-sized X-Men from his relaunch. While we've seen a number of them come and go, most notably the addition of Kitty and the departure of Cyclops, though... He came right back in The Death of Phoenix. The X-Men haven't really grown their ranks, with the exception of Kitty. As a matter of fact, I feel like we're sort of seeing them overuse the same people, and I don't think we're yet at that point where it's always Logan all the time. Like, I'm not trying to be all about my buddy James, but I actually don't feel like Wolverine is yet overexposed. No! That's kind of a bold statement, I know, but yeah, Jonah it feels like Wolverine still doesn't have a personality.
1: Not really, and if I can make an argument, I would say the probably most overused X-Men is Storm. While I don't think we've gotten to classifications of how powerful certain mutants are, Storm really sets herself above everybody else and is constantly used as the deus ex machina of just throw a lightning bolt at it and kind of overpower everybody, which is really funny considering Storm is basically a pacifist and doesn't like hurting things or killing them. But I agree in that they're relying so heavily on certain powerful x-men but characters like colossus and wolverine haven't really gotten where they are fully realized characters wolverine is starting to get there especially when we saw his little bits with alpha flight and in canada but really colossus i mean banshee was cut short banshee's cut from the team we haven't seen him since he was cut
2: not to mention thunderbird dying three or four issues in.
1: i'm still not over that though yeah
0: I'm going to jump in on that with Jonah for a second. I think this is the read that I finally understand Thunderbird. I've, like, fallen in love with him. He's an example of a character where the classic X-Men story gave me so much depth. I thought I liked Iceman especially in that sort of mid-300s political espionage, his dad is sick story era. But it turns out I might only like that era of Iceman. And I think I really loved Thunderbirds very short time. And man, those X-Men classics, I am the fuck happy to be away from them. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's really cool that the three of us worked on that last episode with X-Men Classics together, where we talked about the two Dazzler stories. I remember not being happy with some of the things they dealt with, like the very obviously non-New York approach to New York, and the very non-musician approach to being a musician. <laughs> but we were happy to see a woman write Dazzler From a woman's perspective, about things that affect women, it's terrific that we got to talk about female characters, but if a woman isn't voicing it, you really can't consider it a truly feminist idea. At best, it's somebody leaning in to somebody else's world and trying to give a sense of what it's like to be an outsider. But with the X-Men, we're already talking about outsiders, and in order to properly capture that feeling, that magic, you need... To be an insider with the outsider. If that makes any sense.
2: When it comes to the X-Men being <laughs> the Outsiders is their mo the whole being an insider with the Outsiders, that's also what's needed to understand X-Men stories.
0: Jonah, I feel like that was something you pointed out a number of times early on, that you felt like there were certain choreographed elements that indicated that certain people ultimately weren't going to be that important. Ultimately, we've come to love Sean and his contributions to Moira and not to get too excited about things that are going to happen in 50 years but oh my god Moira (laughs) and so (laughs) she's just so great now but Jonah I remember you saying does Banshee ever get a chance to speak and I ultimately had to say uh no
1: which is funny considering his mutant power. But yeah, it's fine to have characters you don't want to focus on as much because part of writing any form of media is marketability and who is easier to market? The beautiful goddess who controls the weather or the old gruff Irishman who just screams? You know, I would obviously give more time to Storm as well. But it's still it's an unfair treatment when you have such... I actually wouldn't even say the X-Men's team is large because they're usually at most six of them. But still, they don't always get to have their chance in the spotlight. I mean, the biggest crime of this being that banshee really didn't do much or get much development or story when he was in his castle i would argue that kind of focused on kurt saving the day which i love but you can give other characters love you can throw them a little nod and i think i can appreciate a little bit not of the x-men classic backup stories but the certain pages that they did insert to the main narrative and i think they did great justice to a character like thunderbird and i really do appreciate that part of classic
0: And I don't think you can talk about Thunderbird and X-Men classic and the way that all comes together without talking about Warpath and other characters that are introduced well before their time. It is one of the coolest things that I grew up being, like, psychotically obsessed with the new mutants. It's just like, my dream story is somehow cast the new mutants in the cross-time caper. I don't know. Want it? Just let me have it? It's really such a powerful title, and those characters came to define my love of the X-Men. I remember nights dreaming of being Danny Moonstar, of going swimming with Birdo and Sam, of discovering Warlock alongside Kitty and Doug. I have these clear memories of thinking how amazing it was that the Exterminators were these other kids that came in. Fantasies of living a better version of Fallen Angels alongside Boom Boom Jamie and Teresa. And it's just so cool that I find this person as an adult who has an equal affinity for at least parts of the Hellions. Now I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you, sir, love Warpath so much that you have taken him as part of your namesake. Are there any other Hellions that stand out for you? But also, then we're going to talk about Warpath, but I just, in my head, now I'm like, I wonder what he thinks about madness. <laughs>
2: well i was gonna say magma it seems like the ones that i liked the most were the ones that ended up being good and not staying with the hellions to meet a certain untimely demise but
0: yeah i'm a big fan of tarot and cat's eye myself so i uh, i was gonna say
2: tarot is probably one of my next favorites
0: jonah you're gonna have such a problem with her
2: wait why am i gonna, am i gonna have a problem with her
0: you're gonna hate her powers so much <laughs> her powers are she has a tarot deck that just kind of like comes to life when she throws cards at people. Why? But it's a mutant power, Jonah. It's a mutant power. That
1: sounds like Gambit with less steps.
0: It is. Gambit with like giant monsters and some weirdly racial overtones I'm not crazy about. I'm good.
1: (laughs) Someone better talk to her before I do because I'm going to hurt her feelings.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. Jonah is going to enroll at the Massachusetts Academy and he's going to be like, look, number one, just call me Kid Omega. Number two, Emma, we gotta talk about some choices you're gonna (laughs) make. We have to talk about your hair. That's number one. Oh my god. We have to get you away from the mom, Bob, and we have to get you to power business lady. So Dylan, as you are the not-just-arbiter of all things Warpath, you really, in many ways, are like the biggest Warpath fan on the internet. And I would love to know, from your perspective, how you felt about his earlier inclusion. You're the Warpath guy. Tell me about
2: it. I mean, I guess maybe because I know the whole circle of Warpath's life, I really like how he was first introduced. Seeking revenge on the X-Men Because he blamed Charles for John being a hard-headed idiot That goes headfirst into a suicide mission But it it made sense Warpath didn't know this weird bald man That just showed up one day and took his brother And then probably within a time span of weeks His brother was dead
0: So as soon as you said bald man My first thought was Are you telling me I've never dominated the world Because of an aging bald man in a wheelchair? (laughs) Where is that cripple? I'll kill him right now (laughs) You have become unhinged from time.
1: I am am a personal fan of me calling Charles a reverse sugar baby.
0: Oh, holy shit. We're going to talk about the X-Men and money in a minute. Because I, Jonah, your take on Charles Xavier being a reverse sugar baby to everybody in the world on every planet has become my raison d'etre. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I completely agree and i it's more than agree. I understand where you're coming from on that because so much of the X-Men's narrative is about the positive remembrance of heroes and frequently the levels of vengeful drama that would come to populate the X-Men like they're always being a mole. Those are sort of post-Claremont iterations of Claremontian ideas but Proudstar as a lineage, Proudstar as an identity, these two brothers, we go back to the these two brothers so much. There's a humongous chunk of X-Force, especially in the John Francis Moore era, that deals with the brothers' warpath. If I'm not mistaken, the X-Force negative one flashback issue is dedicated to them. And yeah, they're just such great characters. And I really feel like I didn't understand how much I loved Thunderbird till this watch. Watch, Jesus. Till this read. You know what? No. Yes, watch. There's something magic about the X-Men. It comes to life for me. These are more than just two-dimensional characters. Storm, like Jonah said, she's just so friggin' fantastic. There's something amazing about how close I I can get to understanding what she's experiencing. The ideas that Claremont sets forth, even when the language is far too similar for its own good. Everybody seems to say the word proverbial all the time, so even when the language is too similar, Claremont still manages to craft unique characters. I never confuse the that Cyclops has for the selflessness Storm has or for the conviction of Logan. The protection and family caretakership that Colossus exhibits is different from the personal duty to those who have accepted him that Nightcrawler has. They're completely different stories. Nightcrawler understands found family from day one so Nightcrawler wants to love the X-Men as a found family even though they're initially afraid of him. Colossus doesn't understand the idea of found family. Colossus is from a broken nation trying to heal, and the best he has is that he will be doing this job for the rest of his life to protect his family. For Colossus, blood is everything, and that is going to forever dominate Colossus's story. These characters, the way Claremont sets them up, is so much more than just two-dimensional identities. You know, Jonah, it's not just that you've read New X-Men. I've watched your face light up every time Jonah- (laughs) (laughs) I almost said Jonah Frost- (laughs) (laughs) I've watched your face light up every time Jonah Frost appears. And even in the past, watching her come into that character that Grant Morrison so deftly and beautifully treats with simultaneous respect and like a whore that he's literally throwing the money at somehow, I don't know how he does it, she still comes across in every panel. Seeing a character that you love so much in the now, in the past, she's got to be different. What has it been like for you trying to reconcile the juxtaposition of what you know the character Characters to become in stories like new x-men by grant morrison and with claremont's initial iterations in the 1970s and 80s
1: 18- it's pretty interesting because sometimes i want to go wait no that's not how they act but i have to realize this is how they did originally act and this is who they were before somebody else gave them a different voice and gave a different perspective to them i don't find it that far off for everyone nobody seems to have a really drastic change in personality the only person who i could maybe see an argument for but i don't know him that well would be Iceman. I- pretty sure he goes through a lot of growth in character development as the years go on, especially concerning the future of what his sexuality will be and such things like that. But most everyone else tends to stay the same, but I think when you have a character like Emma, who was a previous villain and then becomes, whether you see her as anti-hero, neutral, or a good guy, she really kind of did come into her own. We saw that in her second appearance when we covered her in that one episode of X's for Podcast. It's actually really nice to see where characters got their start and how they became someone else.
0: And speaking of characters that really started as something else or someone else, one of the most important things that comes to define the X-Men is the inclusion of minor characters who will later resurface and define the X-Men. While she does not unfortunately appear for as many years as I would like, Stevie Hunter does become a mainstay of the X-Mansion. I have this dream world where Stevie Hunter and Dr. Cecilia Reyes open a rehabilitation clinic for female athletes in the village. And it's like my actual dream. And if they could just be like super gay together, can I have it, please? Anyway, so...
2: <laughs> I don't know if I could see Cecilia doing that. Or, I mean, going
0: gay. You know what? Yeah, 100%. Because I could see her opening a rehabilitation clinic with Stevie Hunter, but I agree. I feel like, I feel like Cecilia is very traditional in a certain way we'll get to cecilia reyes in 25 years but <laughs> when i think about minor characters like lee Forrester, for example she's a character that is going to come up with some decent frequency for quite a while every time i think we've seen the very last of dr peter corbeau the fuck i know we're back on a boat or we're back on a spaceship and it's suddenly fucking peter corbeau day and we're all celebrating peter corbeau Dylan, you're someone who's read every upside-down, sideways-backward, fuck-mutant story ever, and the number of these recurring characters from this era is obscene.
2: I completely agree. It's as if certain writers, or when new writers come on, and they're like, I want to do something with a minor character. Why don't I just use one that's been used before, even if everyone is probably tired of them and they never had a story before? Let's just bring them back.
0: And, you know, it's funny because I was doing a little bit of research and I was looking at some random Bill Sienkiewicz and I hadn't realized that Bill S. did some issues of Fantastic Four, which, okay, super fun. But it turns out in those two issues of Fantastic Four, there's a character named Firefrost who then would appear in three issues of Catherine Eminence. Original Sins, a spin-off to Jason Aaron's really good but unfortunately disappointing conclusion mega crossover event, Original Sins. So, this era, even the non-X books, really had a massive impact on so many writers who would come to shape the X-Men years later. Catherine Imminent would work on titles like Pixie Strikes Back, while her husband, Stuart Imminent would be I don't know, the cover artist for every Marvel crossover for like five years. So, we're talking about this era that didn't just influence us, It influenced the people who influenced us. It's really incredible. The first thing I think about when I think about the X-Men is I think about the Claremont Giant size X. The next thing I think about is of course the original five. Something I've noticed is that this era never deals with too many of the original five at any given point. For sure we have Iceman and Angel together in the Champions. R.I.P. Champions. We had Gene and Scott together in Uncanny with occasional appearances from Warren. But even then frequently Gene and Scott were apart. It's been really a wild ride trying to track the original five through this narrative. Jonah, you've had so little experience with Iceman, Warren, with Beast. Has it been difficult to understand what it is about the original five that people are clamoring for? Or do you see it? Do you see the threads of a strong team and a period of nostalgia? I see
1: it for Cyclops because I know Cyclops is pretty popular and whether or not I agree with how he's written some of the times, I understand why he's so cool. I mean, I used to love him for just off his design and power set, and I can see why Jean is very popular, because Jean became the it girl, and I can absolutely see it for Beast, because Beast is pretty cool, you know, he's kind of questionable sometimes and Warren and Iceman I don't I don't see it for I don't know if it's just nostalgia factor kicking in for people but Warren kind of had no identity and I have no idea if he still has an identity that's not tied to his money you
0: know what that's a really fascinating point something I had missed in my original read of the X was that there is a backup story early on about Warren trying to I believe it's avenge his parents in some capacity I hadn't realized this story existed when I went back and reread I found out it was there, but like Warren, money, that's just what it is. Bobby is always trying to prove his respectability. Beast is eternally the brains with the muscles that just can't quite figure out how to fit in, even though he's always charming. Now, something I've never asked you, Dylan, is your opinion on the original five. So what are your thoughts?
2: When you ask that question, am I supposed to talk about them in general as a whole from beginning to where they currently are?
0: <laughs> well, what are your feelings on the original five? Um,
2: uh, okay.
0: Because I mean, nobody has the patience to try and talk about how frequently Cyclops has tragically lost someone.
2: I'm going to start with Angel. I don't understand him or why he was even made because I don't find him appealing at all, except for when he became Archangel.
0: And you know, I don't think I really like him till he gets the. Feather wings with blue skin. I'm a weirdo. I am a humongous fucking weirdo. I am telling you that before I say this out loud, okay? I
2: will agree with that. Blue skin, feather angel.
0: I love Joe Casey's run. I stand it. I stand it to death. I, I will agree with you on that. Crazy fucking love that weird run. I know that he was suffering through some really hard addiction problems at that time, but there's something about the angel he captures in that Chamber Stacy X era, that Banshee running the X-Corporation era that Grant Morrison would later touch on with his Phantom X arc. But okay, so Angel, no one gets him. Jonah doesn't get him either. <laughs> so, like, you have no one against you on this show.
2: And I would agree with what you were saying about Iceman, especially in older... uh no. Sorry, you said that you liked older Iceman. I, I didn't like older Iceman. I didn't really find Iceman interesting until Age of Apocalypse with the potential of what his powers could be.
0: I completely agree with you. I thought I liked early Iceman more. Maybe I just have fond memories of his solo miniseries, but who knows what's going to happen when we reread
1: that. (laughs) I absolutely hope it's like that one Bizarre Adventures where it was just a Bobby fanfic of him saving the day at a college and everyone loving him.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, it actually really is... It's like four issues of that. Seriously. It's like seriously like four issues of really pedestrian stuff. Like I vaguely remember him like ice sliding through a backyard at one point.
2: When it comes to Beast, I think he is actually kind of pretty interesting. I I think he gets the downfall of being out of the original X-Men just the guy who's smart and ape-like. I don't think people started to really like him until he turned blue. And newer time Beast, I actually still kind of like. He's just doing what he thinks is right, even if it is written to be terrorist to his own species.
0: I have had a really hit or miss relationship with Beast of the last I don't know how long. I love the character, frequently despite the plots he finds himself in. We're going to be covering an extended plot in Louise Simonson's X-Factor for Beast that I don't care for. After that, we're going to be taking a look at Beast as a sidelined character for roughly 10 years. However, in that time we get my absolute favorite version of Like, an alternate evil take on an original X-Man. We get the Dark Beast, who, while Dark Phoenix is an evil manifestation of our gene, Dark Beast is a completely different fucking thing. And he is glorious.
2: He's amazing. I would completely agree.
0: (laughs) He is... fucking incredible. Oh my god, he's like everything I always wanted Apocalypse to be. Although I think Sinister is what everybody thinks Apocalypse is. I loved Endangered Species for Beast. I love most of New X-Men for Beast. I love most of Astonishing X-Men for Beast. I don't really start to run into hiccups till the Bendis run, and then I think he does the worst thing in the history of comics. That's- I have a bigger problem with the all-new X-Men by Bendis than I do with One More Day by J. Michael Straczynski and Spider-Man. Wow. Genuinely. Unpopular opinion, I know. It, it kind of is. But the time-displaced X-Men really get to me. <laughs>
2: Cyclops, I, I'm i kind of on the fence about him. Like, I go back and forth of liking him. I actually really liked Scott after a handful of years ago when Xavier died and Scott had to take over. I, I think Cyclops was right.
0: You know, I'm going to be honest. I'm definitely a Wolverine was right kind of guy.
2: Oh.
0: I'm definitely a um, I'm definitely a, a Wolverine wearing a Quentin Quire was right shirt kind of guy, and I I will I will stand myself to death. Are you going to cause a
2: schism before between The twi- rest twi-
0: of my life. Oh man, I guess that makes Jonah hope. You don't understand it yet, <laughs> Jonah. But you are an incredible plot device, and you are marvelous. And you have survived more line wide resets than <laughs> Layla Miller. So you're currently the cute little ex person.
1: I am ready to. Be a baby, and you know, deny everything cosmically, and be the most powerful thing that there ever is. That gets put on a shelf with
2: Wanda,
0: and oh no, but isn't I I believe she is in Dawn of X, isn't she? She's gonna be an X Men,
2: but I mean, every six months she gets put on a shelf for six more months.
0: This is true. God, there was that weird period where they just kept writing her in and out of X-Forces?
2: That... It
0: it was getting so confusing. The poor girl had vertigo. Yeah,
2: and then she was called Meme for a while. That was weird. Anyway...
0: Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> okay. Well, we've talked enough about Hope Summers. Now let's talk about <laughs> her namesake-ish, because Hope is the first four letters of Phoenix. So. Oh, wow. Tell me, tell me, what is your opinion on our precious Jean? Oh, that was my hint. That's why I assumed that she was going to be the Phoenix, because it was the first four letters of Phoenix, and she was a redhead with green eyes. Yeah. I was like, oh, nope, wow. done.
2: Um. Well, just, just a correction. When you said our sweet Jean, when you say that, you mean you, not me. Um... <laughs>
0: I mean me and Jonah. Yes. I mean me and Jonah, because there's enough Phoenix costumes to go around, and Jonah and I are each going to put one on. Jonah, you can wear the super cute one Quentin wears at the end of Here Comes Tomorrow. Sure. And I'll be White Phoenix of the Crown Jean, and we're going to do weird white hot room stuff to you.
2: Uh, no comment.
0: Better than doing Black Bug stuff room to you.
1: True. But can we do Scott's Mindscape where he and Emma get it on kind of stuff? As long as I get to be Emma.
0: Ooh, where are you? you want to dress in the Dark Phoenix costume for us? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> you want to say don't don't I look like your wife? Tell me I'm pretty.
0: <laughs> oh my god, there are some times in New X-Men where I'm just like Emma, the level of validation you need is incredible. I love Emma Frost and Jean Grey, and I don't understand how you can obsess over one and not obsess over the other. I believe they are equal sides of very similar coins, yes, And it was a point that Jonah made that really stuck out in my head. I had never really considered contrasting bullies in that way. To me, a bully is a bully. But when I think about that very famous issue that every gay man owns the, the, the issue just so we can have the cover, we all own it. Don't lie to yourselves. We all have new X-Men 139. And it's just what it is. And in it, Gene accuses Emma of being a bully, and Emma accuses Gene of being a bully. And the ways in which they are beautiful mirrors of each other. I need them both in my life. I think there's more than one kind of incredible, beautiful, powerful, passionate woman in the world. And I have room in my heart for both of these women, and that's not to say that if you don't have room in your heart for both of these women, you don't love two kinds of women, because there's Storm, who's dynamic and powerful. There's Tabby, who, Jonah, I just can't wait another fucking minute for you to get to Tabby, I swear to God. Is she a cat? And- <laughs> No, her code names are Boomer. Oh!
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've told me about her.
0: She makes explosions, and she literally sometimes says splody, and then stuff blows up. She's the fucking (laughs) best. So, there's, you know, like, I don't think I don't know. There's just something to me about loving the women of the X-Men. Really, there's only one or two really central X women I don't care for, and I know you and I disagree on one of them, Dylan, and I'm gonna leave it to Jonah to form his own opinions on Marrow when we get to her.
2: Why why you gotta just throw Marrow underneath the I feel like
0: like I'd rather rip out her fucking heart, but, um, I think one (laughs) of the things about- (laughs) she's gonna be fine anyway. (laughs) So, I really love that the X-Men gives you so many opportunities to be a million different kinds of feminist. It makes me so happy that I can open this and Storm's strength jumps out at Kitty's cleverness. helps me to think about my problems in new ways. When I read Rogue's Rebellion, I understand that she's, yeah, fighting her mother figure because her mother figure is a fucking supervillain. But at the end of the day, Rogue really is just a teen rebelling and my extensive love of phoenix is on the record i did that like five minute fucking soliloquy in that one episode of HTML where I like nearly cry talking about what Gene means to me. And at the end of it, Joey was like, did you just come up with that right now? Are you okay? Like these women have given me so much. And yes, obviously the men. When I started getting into bodybuilding, Colossus was an inspiration. When I started doing yoga, I thought about night crawl. Whenever I feel like I'm not getting better and my illnesses are getting me down. Yeah, I turn to Logan and I look at my beautiful Nick Bradshaw, which I'm going to forever sing the praise. Of my Nick Bradshaw Wolverine and the X Men cover, of Wolverine holding his giant belt buckle, drinking a beer, wearing a tank top with a picture of Quentin Choir on it that says Choir was right. Yeah, that is forever the greatest, greatest X Men art of all time. <laughs> But these characters You know we started This whole thing by saying How these characters Are so real to us And Jean and Emma The duality of The power of feminism And the duality of The beauty of these Flawed women Representing more than Just archetypes On the page But dynamic Passionate Real to life Situations That women find Themselves in I just I think about what Emma had to go through The way she had to Truly prostitute herself I think about the fact That Rogue is a a Victim of psychological manipulation, and, and, you know, Rogue is fucking Patty Hearst with a mutant ability. I don't mean to be rambling for so long. These characters just move me so much, and I know they move you guys too. That's why we're here. That's why we've produced something like 50 episodes of this show in less than a year. I am so proud and so excited to have assembled the team I've assembled, and with the crazy run of X-Men we've got coming up, I know that we're gonna be going in some weird places. The last time we saw Beast, for instance, he had just begun working Working with the Avengers shortly after transforming into Beast, and we last saw him on a date with his former flame, Vera. When we pick things up, Beast is a full-fledged member of the Avengers and has been for about 30 issues, as well as hanging out in the title an additional 20 issues before that. Beast's story, we'll pick back up with Vera. We're going to cover Beast's transition from the Avengers to the Defenders, where he will remain through Iceman and Angel's membership. The three of them will remain on the new Defenders through the end of the title's run, which syncs up rather nicely with a big project that the team will be undertaking. While it's quite a bit a ways away, X-Factor is certainly going to change everything about this show, as we're going to have to convert to one big flowing X-Universe to properly cover everything. So, these will be the three voices you will be hearing
3: the most Going
2: forward,
3: hi everyone, it's Joey Lewandowski. I'm promising this is not the same intro that I've used the last three times I've done this kind of segment because number one, wanted to mix it up, number two, accidentally deleted that file. New, week, new comic I'm talking about. I'm still a relative comic book baby in the world. I just read, reread, reread Watchmen in preparation for the upcoming HBO series. Now, I know that Watchmen is one of the most popular, one of the most landmark, one of the most influential, important comic books of all time. I read the comic for the first time before the movie came out, and I remember liking the movie, but I also saw it at midnight the night it came out, and I'm almost certain that I fell asleep during it, and I haven't seen it since. I'm going to be so in the bag for this TV series because it's created by Damon Lindelof, who created maybe my two favorite shows of all time, The Leftovers and Lost. Love those. I'm assuming I'm going to love this. Don't know anything about it. Haven't even watched the trailers. I avoid trailers, but I am so excited for that. Here's my takeaway from the comic book that came out, what, 35, 33, 34, 35 years ago? It's amazing to me how prescient and how important and how relevant the story still is. I think it's easy to say, oh, there's nothing the same between the 80s and now, but I feel like the world in which the, the, the original Watchmen comic takes place in, when we're worried about Russia, we're worried about the Middle East, there are threats of nuclear weapons, there's vigilante, there's unrest, I feel like so much of that still rings true today. And I was really amazed at how timely it still felt, given the fact that we are now 33, 34, 35 years later. Like, it's incredible how timeless this comic book is. I sort of wish that it wasn't, because it's not like Watchmen is a wildly uplifting comic. I think it's hard to differentiate sort of issue to issue when I read all 12 over the span of three or four days. One of the ones that stands out in my mind is the Dr. Manhattan issue, where we find out how he became Dr. Manhattan, how he became this blue, superhuman, godlike creature. As the guys, as Nico and Jonah and the guys are covering House of X and Powers of Ten, I couldn't help but be reminded of the House of X issue two spoilers if you have not read it yet. So fast forward about 15 or 30 seconds. Dr. Manhattan's past, present, future all happening at once couldn't help but remind me of Moira's journey through her 10 lives. Time no longer functions as a linear path. Time is sort of relative. And I guess for Moira, it still is kind of linear, but she's sort of also circling back, she's doubling back. Whenever a comic book or any kind of story is able to manipulate time, in this case, or just narrative, conventional narrative writing... I can't help but be impressed. Whether you're talking about movies or you're talking about TV, whether you're talking about comic books, I know that it can be whatever you want it to be. People go into a movie or people go into a comic book sort of with a a general understanding of what that story is going to be, how it's going to be told, at least, right? And I think what's really incredible about the new House of X and Powers of Ten, and also Watchmen, is that it breaks that. And I think that you're able to hear that on the early episodes of the Dawn of X, the Powerhouse episodes that Nico and Jonah and the guys are doing. Jonah still, you know, way more versed in the X-verse than I am. But even, you know, hearing him just like in awe of how House of X and Powers of Ten are telling the story. It's that same kind of realization, considering Watchmen took place or was written 34 years ago. Like, it's mind-blowing. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've probably read Watchmen, or you've seen the movie, or you know the story, or whatever. If you have not read it, go read it, go pick it up. Again, I'm not breaking new ground here. I don't think that this is a, a hot take that Watchmen is a good comic book, but I read it. I wanted to sort of chime in while it's fresh in the brain if you want to find out more about me you can go to cageclub.me slash joey find out about my Fast and Furious podcast Tom Tom Podcasts Tom Cruise Tom Hanks got a Ryan Gosling podcast chugging away right now lots of things to do cageclub.me slash joey or I'm at soulpop just about everywhere on the internet
0: I've had such a beautiful time talking about these characters, where they are, who they are, and what they mean to us, but I have a question before we all go. When I think about what we've read so far, I separated into three very distinct eras. With the help of the back issue bin episodes, we were able to deep dive into the original five and follow along with their story as well as Beasts transformation, and departure for the Avengers. I consider that the original five team, and I'm even gonna throw in Havoc and Polaris, because everything those two ever do always references that they're like the unwanted bonus two that you just kind of, you get in the action figure set, except, you know, I would I would trade three of the five original X-Men for Polaris any day. So, that's the original five, and you can add Poe and Havoc if you really want. So then there's the giant size X-Men, which is that ridiculously huge team, and then there's the reduced- team, with Kitty, and sometimes Scott, but a lot of Carol Danvers. So, I sort of divided into those three distinct teams. Kind of that original five, and bonus, giant size era, and 150 era. I gotta know who's everybody's favorite so far. Dylan, I know that you came on to the show the latest, but you knew this material when you jumped in. Of those three teams, of the original five, of the giant size, and of the 150 X-Men lineups, who, sh- who jumps out at you as your ultimate X-Team? It would
2: right? be giant size. Just... Mainly because of Storm, but I really like what they were trying to do with trying to get all aspects of the globe and diversity to the team that at that point had the original five plus Havoc and Polaris that was just seven white people. (laughs)
0: Yeah. The two that ultimately turn blue don't even turn blue yet. So this is like straight the fuck up. This is like, for real, this is like Indiana. This is so white. Jonah, of those three teams, which is your favorite? The original five plus bonus, giant size, or 150? Mm, 150.
1: And I have to say that because Kitty brings so much to the X-Men that I think it was missing that I cannot deny her role.
0: You know, I'm going to have to back that up immediately. I feel for me the 150 X-Men are like my jam. I don't think I love another iteration of the X-Men until the early 200s quite this much. This is really, this is my shit. Uh, I do love humongous humongous chunks of Between Now and Then. For instance, Life, Death, and the Kulon Gath Saga are some of my favorite issues of anything ever. So I'm really excited to get to those and to the inevitable Exiles reference back to one of them. But these teams, these characters, they're all so terrific. And we're not even at most of Dylan my favorites yet. We have so many incredible characters to join the ranks and so many phenomenal stories that we're going to cover in the next few months and hopefully years. And I just can't wait to get to them. But until we return to the halls of Graham Elkin Lane and we witness X history as it happened. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Hey, everybody can
2: find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That's Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. And you can find me most of the time, if not 24-7, on my Facebook group that is called House of X
0: terrific guys I gotta tell you I love House of X I mean I also love Dylan's Instagram I think Jonah will agree with me wolf but House of X is such a terrific group and it's such great fandom camaraderie it's one of the few groups it's okay to have an unpopular opinion in so if you guys are ever looking for a place to chat about this show or just X-Men fandom in general please check out House of X the members there are terrific Jonah until your dulcet tones tell us of the mutant I don't even know the fuck I was going with that Jonah, where can everybody find you other than next to me? You
1: cannot find me turning into a furry blue beast. You can actually find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico, where can everybody find you?
0: You guys can find me all over this great network on shows like Now and Again. We're along with Chris Podcast, my childhood best friend to talk about pop music. You guys can also find me on all sorts of feeds on this network, like the aforementioned Dawn of X Powerhouse, where we're talking about the already record setting, mind-blowing, neoclassic John Hickman, Dawn an X, House of X powers of ten run that just dominating our brains along with Kyle who will be joining me for the Thor Thursdays run which keep an ear out of course is always Captain Britain with the amazing Kevo and Jonah and that's meant you can find Kevo and myself along with occasionally Jonah over on HTML Husbands Talk More or Less where we're currently taking a look at the Alien franchise and all of its many tie-ins whether it's other Ridley Scott films or Predator don't forget to check out my hyper inclusive super cool superhero comic Kid Riot about a young gay Latino speedster who's out to change the world by saving the dead at KidRiotComics.com and you can find me being half-naked flexing weight frequently over on my Instagram which can be found at EcoAction that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N <laughs> guys this is probably one of my favorite episodes ever and I've had such a great time doing it and until next time we will see ya adios see ya